welcome to another episode of What's at Stake, the Penta Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Donesby. I'm Managing Director at Penta, and I'm here in D.C. with Oliver Edelman, a director at the firm. Welcome, Oliver. Hey, Elliot. Good to see you in person. So I thought we'd take a little deep dive today into the latest in digital currency and the future of payments. Over 100 countries around the world are now exploring some version of a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, of course. And, you know, by my last count, there's something like 200 globally distributed stablecoins, the vast majority of which are backed by the U.S. dollar. And yesterday you were at an event from the Atlantic Council kind of exploring all these themes on the evaluating, you know, what are the challenges around these developments? Uh, how do we move forward? How, you know, how do we build international standards and, you know, really bring in together some international policymakers with industry groups and stakeholders to kind of level set on, well, what are the key technologies? What are the policy considerations really in evaluating the CBDC or in building and proposing the CBDC? And I thought we'd just take a little time to, to hear some of your takeaways and kind of explore some of those themes. Yeah, glad to be here. So I guess high, high level, you know, let's just start. What's your take on where crypto digital currency, digital payments, what's your take on where that stands today and kind of some of the macro trends or, or changes we may see? Um, and then I want to dig in a little bit on how the event yesterday itself starts to kind of play some of those out. Sure. So I think it's pretty clear that over the past two, three years or so, crypto, if we talk about crypto, there's a lot of flashy tabloid headlines, FTX, SBF, CC. I haven't heard of any. Are you sure? <laughs> um, I think what some people don't realize is that under the surface all that of all that, there was a lot of real work being done. Yeah. There was a lot of infrastructure being built. There were central banks, lawyers, engineers involved building, thinking about what are the benefits of tokenization of this distributed ledger technology and how can we actually use these in a responsible way. And so, you know, the crazy headline phase is uh, hopefully partially behind us. <laughs> and um, and yet the the enduring technology and, and the work that has been done under the surface endures. And so one of my takeaways from the conference yesterday is that we are at the precipice of the tokenization yeah. of real world assets and of assets such as bonds. Um, one of the uh, breaking news, if you will, is that the World Bank is tokenizing promissory notes, which is, which is essentially the mm. way that it facilitates donations to developing countries. So that is now being tokenized in a pilot uh, program. And so, you know, the question as it relates to money is, uh, if we have financial assets that are being tokenized, we need a form of money that corresponds to that. Mm. Certainly, there are stable coins and others. And the question is, what does that ecosystem look like? And I think it's pretty exciting. It's funny to me that after all the years, plural, I mean, at least uh, three or four, around sort of like the Twitter meme of like blockchain solves that, yeah. <laughs> or like that's what crypto can solve, yeah. you know, now as sort of that some of that froth subsides, you see... No, that actually is We're where blockchain back to that. gets yeah, exactly. like That actually is. Um, and I think, I think net net, that's a positive thing, right? I think no doubt that some of these processes, I mean, to take like multilateral or to take the World Bank as one example, that's pretty old structure. <laughs> it's a yeah. pretty, pretty traditional structure. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, where you can facilitate some of that transparency using le open ledger, distributed ledger, using, you know, however you think about the sort of mechanics to your point of, the actual products and tools themselves, I think where you can add in that transparency and a little bit of that like broader functionality, I think I think that's a, a huge win for really for everybody involved. 
Yeah, I agree. I think to your point, I think a lot of the talking points that we heard yesterday were things that you might have heard in 2017, 2018. Right. You know, atomized settlement, you know, no counterparty risk, these things that you know, right. we've known about blockchain the whole time. Right. So, you know, it was not maybe as exciting as the like foam party crypto conferences of two years ago. <laughs> there was no DJ Khaled. We no had, foam yesterday. No okay. foam yesterday. Yeah. Paul Ryan was there, though. So it was <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> But yeah, I think that doesn't mean though that there aren't major challenges. And those, that was one of the objectives of the conference was to say, you know, there's all this innovation happening. The banks are involved. The central banks are involved. There are pilots all over the world, private sector, central bank sponsored. And a problem or a potential problem is that we fracture the payment system globally. And we kind of have that now. So part of the problem that blockchain solves, right, is in theory, up until now, we've been living in a world where the financial system works off of individual messages between banks. It's almost there's an example that someone gave yesterday of like we have been living in a one off email world mm-hmm. and we are now moving to group chat world. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like, what, how is it easier to plan a party through one off emails or through a group chat? Obviously, right. through a group chat. Everybody knows what's going on at the same right. time. That's kind of what blockchain is. And the problem is, though, is if we're creating a new financial in, in a way, creating a new financial infrastructure. We don't want to be creating multiple group chats. We want one mega group chat, right? We don't want to kind of be creating this, the same problem over again. And so we need to achieve interoperability both from an engineering perspective, so through open source technology, and then also from a governance perspective. And that's specifically through cybersecurity standards, through privacy standards. Certainly there are questions around China CBDC right. and, and all of these things. Uh, and that's what the folks at the Atlantic Council uh, are working on today. And I would say too, like interoperability to me, um, is one of those things that I think you have to you have to give a lot of credit and you have to be fair to a lot of the the crypto firms and builders that have been working on you know something as sort of fundamental as like a cross chain bridge for a long time. That to me is another of those like enduring impacts of the last couple of years is a lot of the firms started to work and and encourage developers to work across chain mm-hmm. and in some regard you know kind of blowing that up and scaling it to the level of you know world bank interoperability mm-hmm. certainly comes with challenges and opportunities but but I think I think it is important to recognize that that in some way stands on stands on the back of a lot of the work that's already been done by by the kind of native and and passionate crypto community right yeah um, exactly that's 100% true I will say that uh, a, a challenge now that the ecosystem is facing is that there is not one entity that is building this, right? It's not like the World Bank has expertise in building blockchains, nor does it want to, nor does the IMF and so forth. They can guide and they provide expertise and, and so forth, especially on governance. And now it's a really a multi-stakeholder effort to come to agreement on these things, which is challenging, and it, which is why there's this worry around fracturing. You know, you touched on governance, and I'd love to hear, you know, kind of your the upshot out of the discussion yesterday in your eyes and and how, you know, I mean, again, I think you have to be cognizant that the level of, I guess I'm just going to say the level of centralization <laughs> that a central bank mm-hmm. uh, have to, has to undertake, it can be a little bit at odds with where a lot of the crypto and, and even some of the broader like payments um, infrastructures and innovation is today. You raise the right point that you don't want to have you know, splintering or, or, you know, firms necessarily working at cross purposes, given the consequences of global payments. Right. Um, but, but I think, you know, I'd love to hear more about how governance came up yesterday and, and how kind of the, some of these proposals are for how we would manage a, a truly global or, or synchronized payments process. So in individual conversations, 
it was my takeaway that the 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 most realistic next step among participants is something called the regulated liability network which is um, an initiative run by a few different banks that was piloted by a few different banks under the auspices of the New York Fed. And so what this essentially looks like is it is it does not require a change in law, but it is rather just an infrastructure upgrade to the way that the current financial system works. Mm-hmm. The difference would be that transactions are settled in wholesale CBDC, which mm-hmm. we do not obviously have yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the advantage is that there is no legal change that needs to happen. And specifically, there was someone from City that mentioned, I guess I had never really thought about this before, that regulated financial institutions cannot pay gas fees on Ethereum, for example, because it does not comply with third-party risk management. That oh. is to say, there may be sanctioned entities that they would be paying right. gas fees to. And so regulated financial institutions cannot currently engage in an open permissionless blockchain. It has to be permission blockchain. <laughs> and the regulated liability network is an example of that and an initiative. And so that's something that um, you know some folks see as the next the next step in this. It would obviously require banks to take the next step, and it would require, as the pilot had indicated, a wholesale mm-hmm. U.S. CBDC. And we'll see if that happens. You mentioned tokenization and some of the broader trends towards. I think in some ways this is this has been the holy grail in some you know bond, the bond market being a good example where you know whatever you can do to facilitate um, better price efficiency better kind of transparency on market mechanics is generally all all positive and there's lots of room to improve how did kind of this real world tokenization come up yesterday and what is what are the sort of most promising green shoots on that front yeah, so I, I I mentioned the example of the World Bank and and promissory notes that was unveiled yesterday. There was discussion around specifically in Asia around mm-hmm. you know certain Asia is interesting from a payments perspective to be specific because many Asian countries essentially jumped over credit cards for right. example and are now straight you know there was an example made of consumers don't even really interact with their bank anymore it's all done through third party platforms through Grab and WeChat and these and these things so Asia being you know generally more advanced than we are. Uh, in the here in the United States is at the precipice apparently of tokenization of real world assets. That is to say, they you know Asian consumers interact every day with with fintechs in a way that we in the U.S. maybe don't as much yet. And so the acceptance of uh, of tokenized financial assets is. Uh, in terms of consumer behavior, in terms of bank acceptance, in terms of just the infrastructure that's going on there, much more advanced than it is here. And so there are examples there. There are other World Bank pilots. I think I might be wrong. I think Australia and the World Bank um, work together on a pilot tokenizing government securities, government bonds. And so, you know, I think the cat is out of the bag and this stuff is going to happen. There are obviously the, the, um, the technical benefits to, that we've talked about earlier. And now it's just the question of what is the best money that matches the uh, tokenization of those assets? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, you know, is it stable coins? Is it CBDC? Is it uh, tokenized deposits, which is, you know, another kind of piece of this ecosystem? And we did have central banks there that certainly have concerns around in an increasingly digital world, maintaining the singleness of money. Parna and I talked earlier today about um, when the last time is we used cash. I only use cash at my hairdresser because she does not accept. <laughs> uh, she's great, but she does not accept credit cards. Um, other than that, my main interface with money is the private money, right? It's my right. Bank of America money, Amex money, what have you. And so if you abstract money away from that central bank, Currents or from the central bank, the core uh, central bank money, how do you maintain singleness? And this is something that central banks are 
concerned about. Uh, it, and it's, you know, maintaining that faith in the currency is a big reason why they are exploring, and I don't want to say endorsing, but exploring CBDC. You, uh, and just to break the fourth wall here for a second, a partner is our producer who we couldn't put on the pod without. <laughs> um, you mentioned an interesting point on consumer behaviors and, and you and I were talking earlier about something as sort of today, you know, as fundamental and as widely accepted as like Apple Pay, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I don't think many consumers would call that a quote unquote digital payment in the same way that gets sort of discussed at these, at these think tank events or, or these discussions with policymakers, right? So in your view, do you think it's most likely that ultimately it is just, you know, that tokenization to butcher the phrase happens slowly and then all at once, you know, like that as these innovations proceed and as you know, certainly we'll need the protections and regulations in place to make sure that good actors can succeed, that one day you'll just be using some of these tokenized assets without even necessarily having to do the financial or mental gymnastics mm-hmm. to make it happen. I think it depends, and it depends on a few different things. It always depends. It always depends. Uh, I think, one, it depends on the country in question. Yeah. I think one of the really cool things about payments is how different payments are in different <laughs> countries. Like you think it's like the same thing everywhere. It's not. And I think in the US, we are so accustomed to the concept of being paid for paying as in like, I deserve air miles because I pay for my sandwich, <laughs> right? It's like ingrained. And if mm-hmm. you don't, it's like you're losing something. Mm-hmm. I think that same feeling is not ubiquitous around the world. And I think that, you know, folks in Asia who 20 years ago were paying in cash and now are paying and WeChat don't have that same feeling, mm-hmm. right? And so they may have a different level of uh, acceptance when it comes to moving to stablecoin payments or something else, right? I also think it depends on the consumer versus um, enterprise level. So, you know, banks, they will see enormous savings if they tokenize these various one-off messages that they're currently doing mm-hmm. and create a, a shared ledger amongst themselves mm-hmm. where ownership is proven and um, you know you don't have to reconcile these various ledgers and have this whole back-end situation going on. And so I think it, uptake can happen very quickly at the enterprise level and it can happen very quickly outside of the U.S. And I think inside of the U.S. it kind of depends. All right. Here's the close. All right. In what year will you, me, and Aparna have a knowingly or not fully tokenized payment tool that I'm tapping or waving at the grocery store? That's a good question. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of to- so token on a blockchain. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it could, because token, uh, your Apple Pay is technically a token, yeah, right, but it's yeah. not. It's not a blockchain token. Um, that's a good question. There are a few um, a few of these future uh, predictions at mm-hmm. this conference, um, as you can imagine. So one of the things I was surprised about is that I think of a panel of three. Two of three said by 2030, most democratic countries will have launched a retail CBDC. Yeah, which is surprising. When will we be paying with tokenized money? I think in the United States, and I I really think that the air miles are that important. (laughs) I think it it will be possible by 2030. Mm -hmm. I think I want my Amex points still in 2030. So if they can tokenize that somehow, sure. But until then, (laughs) I love it. Uh, for the record, um, uh, me too. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's tell you what. Let's get back and do a pod in 2030 and we can evaluate the All patients. Right. Looking All forward right. to it. All right. Excellent. Oliver, thanks for joining me today for our mini deep dive. To our listeners, remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at, at PintaGRP. I'm your host, Elliot Owensby. And as always, thank you for listening to What's at Stake. What's at Stake?